So today you can see on the board we're in the final chapter, the final chapter. We've actually been at this for like 15 weeks, 15 weeks. And so it's, it's usually somewhere in the middle I, I kind of say to myself, are they, is everybody still on the bus? Like, is this okay to continue? You know, because it's like 15 weeks is a really long time to be saying the same thing, you know? And I remember that one year I, I, I saw actually uh, when their church was still up and running, that Mark Driscoll had preached on the, on the book of Luke for two years straight. Two years. I'm like, and, and first of all, if you don't know, Mark had like the biggest church in, uh, in Washington or something, or at least in Seattle or whatever. I mean, it was a mega church, huge deal. He preached on Luke for two years. And I thought, yeah, Luke, if we go for two years on one topic, then 15 weeks for us probably ought to be okay, right? You know, <laughs> but we really are officially coming to the last gifts that we find in our First Corinthians 12, the manifestation gift uh, portion of our series, that tongues and interpretation. And, and I have to be honest, I've been excited about this particular about this particular teaching, you know, and, and <laughs> Ron made fun of me in first service because the reality is this is one of my favorites. So that was funny at first service. <laughs> is everybody new? You're new? You never heard me speak before? So, because every single time I've presented a gift now, I've said it's one of my favorites, you know, but it's really true. It's like the more I think about the individual gifts for what they are, I'm like, this is awesome. Like, this stuff is so cool. It's so neat that God has chosen to manifest the Holy Spirit. It's, it's God's Spirit in us. He's chosen to manifest the Holy Spirit of God, the Creator, the one who is hovering over the waters in creation. Like, that's a big deal. He's chosen to manifest Him in me in supernatural ways. Oh, that's just cool. I don't care who you are. <laughs> you know, and so we come to our series with tongues and interpretation of, of tongues. And, and I find with this gift, really honestly, all of the charismatic gifts, you know, but certainly with tongues and interpretation, it is very much misunderstood. It's a very misunderstood gift. We, it's an underutilized gift by even charismatics, and we'll get into that probably next week. I, I couldn't help myself. I had to make this a two-parter. I just couldn't let go of the series, you know? But we'll probably get into some, uh, I'll fill in a lot of gaps probably next week and a lot of questions maybe that I'll stir up now, I'll answer a, a little bit later. But, you know, but it's, it's, a, it's a phenomenal gift that's been released to the, to the body of Christ that we've underutilized, that we haven't fully understood the impact of. You know, Jesus actually has the gift of tongues on his, you know, 1 Corinthians 12, 28, must have for the local church list. You know, the must-haves for his will to be done in the local body, you know, for his purposes to be able to, to move forward, the gift of tongues is actually on the list. We put a lot of emphasis on pastor. Pastor didn't make it to that list, which is why I feel really good not being one. <laughs> but tongues did make it to the list. God was putting an extreme amount of emphasis on the need for the body of Christ to operate in this particular gift. But from a place of deep confusion... We have actually relegated this gift in some circles, in some places. We've relegated the gift in public use to be something that's, that's either demonic or it's at least sinful. You know, and, and we've gotten so scared to use the gift, 
you know, that we've placed parameters upon our lives that actually don't exist in the scriptures. And we've really, we've, we've just, we've said, it's on your must-have list, Jesus, but we're so scared to use it, and we're so fearful that we won't be biblical in the use of it, that we're actually just going to lock it away in the back closet. And, we, you know, maybe in my prayer room when nobody's watching, but then when my kids come around, I'm actually a little nervous that they may hear me actually praying in the Spirit. Like, we're so apprehensive to fully utilize the gift. And I have to tell you, if God himself has put it on a list where he said, this is a must-have for my will to be done on the earth, why do you think we're so apprehensive to utilize it? Because the enemy knows how much strength there is in the full manifestation of Holy Spirit through this gift in the local body of Christ. And so he's put fear on it such that we'll never be able to utilize it, never be able to come into the reality of the fullness of what God intended by that gift. Very misunderstood. I hope that we'll uh, explain, or I'll, that I'll be able to explain that more adequately, you know, of course, as we move forward. But the, the gifts in 1 Corinthians 12 are always, uh, by now in this series, hopefully I've done a good enough job explaining to you that they're not for you. It's a gift that you have been given that the expression of the Holy Spirit is actually for other people. So the, the gifts in 1 Corinthians 12, they are the manifestation of Holy Spirit on a believer intended for the benefit of those that are around you. It's intended for somebody else. Now, have any of you who actually have grown up in church, did you, did you have parents who slipped you tithe money when you were little? You know, and the, the basket was going by, and they, they gave you a buck or gave you a couple bucks because they kind of wanted you to get into the participation of that. To, they were trying to model something to you of what it looks like to be generous and to sow into the, the kingdom and that kind of thing. You know, look, you were given a gift as a child, but you were simply a conduit, right? You, weren't, you were never going to be able to use that gift to go play video games, right? Like, you know, it's like, thanks, Dad. You know what I mean? Like, that was never going to happen because Dad would probably give you a knuckle on the back of the head, right? It was always intended that you were given a gift that was immediately going to pass through you through the benefit of others. Does that make sense? And that's what all of the First Corinthians gifts are. They were gifts that were deposited upon you, but you're just simply a conduit of God's love to transfer that gift onto other people that are in your sphere of influence. Now, to that I raise the question, we're on the gift of speaking in tongues. How does the gift of tongues manifest in such a way that someone who hears you speaking in tongues would be built up and edified? How is the gift of tongues for the common good? Now, most of us, when we think of the gift, we think of it within the context of 1 Corinthians chapter 14, which we'll talk much about today. You should see that up on the board. And, and Paul says of the gift of tongues, that is, that one who speaks in a tongue edifies himself. And when we think of the gift of tongues, this is often the, the, the param- these are, or let's say it this way, this is, this is often the context by which we view this particular gift. And so I want to ask you again, how is a gift that is inherently created by God to edify me make itself to a list in 1 Corinthians 12 that was designed by God to edify you? How did that happen? How does a gift that was intended for my personal edification find itself to a list that was specifically designed to build up those who would hear it? And it's here that I think lies most of the confusion on the gift of speaking in tongues. 
right? Did you notice how when it was rolled out in 1 Corinthians 12, it's actually rolled out as the different kinds of tongues, that someone would be given different kinds of tongues. It's, it's pluralized. We talked about an, another gift similarly on the list that was pluralized. The gift itself naturally has different facets to it. There are different expressions of this particular gift, and I think this is what we always miss. It doesn't say that when you're filled with Holy Spirit that the expression of Him would be that you would speak in a new tongue. It says that the gift are new kinds of tongues, plural. So there are different kinds of tongues that are out there. In, in my study of the scripture, I've been able to identify three different types of tongues that are in the Bible. And because there are different types of tongues there, it further brings, uh, it, it further complicates things when we hear the Apostle Paul put a restriction on the use of tongues in the public setting. Because we don't oftentimes understand what gift he's actually even referring to considering it has multi, multiple facets. Is that making sense? The first facet that we find in Scripture regarding tongues is what we call a missionary tongue or an evangelistic tongue. Now, there are a lot of people out there, mainline churches, that would even say that that this gift exists, but it's for the mission field. It's something that happens over there. The expression of this gift is a tongue that becomes an earthly language. So you're speaking a language, something bubbles up on the inside of you, and you're speaking it, but, it is, but it's an earthly language. Someone can interpret it. You know, so if I'm in China, and, I, and I, all of a sudden I have the ability to speak Chinese, and I'm declaring the purposes of God. Does that make sense? You know, it's an actual earthly language that's being interpreted by the culture of the people that I'm around. It's a missionary tongue. You, you see an example of that in Acts chapter 2, Right? The Holy Spirit breaks in for the first time in a, in a grandiose way. They're all in the upper room, 120 people. The Holy Spirit comes in like a rushing wind. They all come stumbling out of the upper room, and what happens? They're speaking in tongues, and it says that all of the people, because there was a festival and they were drawing people from all kinds of tribes and tongues, all of the people that were there in the streets from different tribes and tongues could hear them preaching the gospel, talking about the great works of God in their own language. So we see here that the expression of tongues was the release of an earthly language that someone else from another culture could understand. The the second thing that we find in Scripture regarding the gift of tongues is what we would call a heavenly language. So the first one was an earthly language, like Chinese or, you know, I don't know, Pig Latin, something like that. The second one is a heavenly language, you know, and, and we'll get into this just a little bit today, but, but the, it's, a, it's a gift that's given to you that allows you to better commune with God. You're actually connecting with Him spirit to spirit, you know, and, and it's, it's, a, it's a heavenly language because it's not interpreted on earth. People don't understand this language because it doesn't exist in our realm. It only exists in the heavenly realm, and God interprets it just fine because it's His language. It's your connection with God in a language that is not your own that allows you to pray according to His will, and that you'll find a little bit later that actually brings a certain edifying, as we, I guess we just talked about it, 14.1, that brings an edification to yourself. It's you praying in such a way as you're connecting in communion with God and it builds you up on the inside out. It's a tremendously underutilized gift in the body of Christ. And the last one, which is what we're going to major on today, is what I would call tongues as prophecy. Tongues as prophecy. And I believe it's this one that the Apostle Paul was actually talking about when he outlined the gifts in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Now, remembering that the gifts in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 were for the common good. They're built there for the edification of those who hear you, 
right? Within that context, we want to take a look at 1 Corinthians chapter 14. Now, Paul has much to say about this gift. How many of you know that the Bible itself will always interpret itself? You just have to actually dig in and figure out what it's saying. See, it's the glory of God to conceal a matter. It's the glory of kings, that's you and me, to search a matter out. It's our job, it's our responsibility to not try to read the Bible out of some religious obligation, but to go after the heart of God, to actually meditate on the Word until we understand what God is actually trying to communicate to us. Usually there's way more there than what meets the eye. The only place that you can excavate that is through the give and take in relationship with God. This, forgive the crass reference, but this morning I related it to, a, to a, a cow chewing cud. The cow will, you know, will, he'll eat the hay, and then he'll regurgitate the hay, and then he'll eat it again. Now, if you can get past the disgusting reference, this is what God has actually called us into in the reading of the Word. He's called us into a place of depth where we eat it for the first time, and we, we mull on it, we chew it, we digest it, it becomes part of us, but we spit it out and take a look at it again. Yeah, I'm starting to get a hold of that. And then you eat it again, and you do that as many times as it takes to get a hold of it. The Word of God itself interprets these different tongues if you actually have eyes to see it and you take a minute to lean into it and excavate those truths. And I think when you do, you'll find that it gives much, much greater clarity to the use of the gift, especially in a public worship service. So if, if you haven't already, turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 14. We're going to hang out in this chapter for quite a ways, so it might be better for you to look in your own scriptures, even though, of course, you can see we've got it on the board there as well. So verse 1, it says, Pursue love, yet desire earnestly spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. Now, immediately we find as we enter chapter 14 in the first verse that it's spelling out to us the context of everything else that will follow. And what is that context? What's the topic of chapter 14 based on the verse number one? Prophecy. So everything that we're getting into for the rest of the chapter, or at least for our study on it, will have something to do with this idea of prophecy. So keep that in mind as we continue. Verse 2, for one who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God. For no one understands, but his spirit speaks mysteries. Now, I just presented to you that there is something called a missionary tongue, right? When the Holy Spirit showed up on the day of Pentecost in the upper room, it bubbled out of them in a tongue that was interpreted by national people. So in Chinese and Japanese and what I just, you know, whatever, that's just what's in my head. I don't know what they were there, you know, Chaldeans and Persians, and I don't know what they actually were, but they interpret it in their own earthly language. But this tells us that the gift of tongues is only interpreted by God, Right? This is a gift that you have that's between you and Jesus, right? So we know that he's not talking about a missionary tongue. He has to be talking about our heavenly prayer language, something that's between you and God. It doesn't need to be interpreted by somebody else because it's not for somebody else. It's between you and God. It's your spirit communing with him. So now that we know what we're talking about, we go on to verse 3. But one who prophesies speaks to men for edification for exhortation, and for consolation. These are the parameters set around prophecy in the New Testament. Verse 4, one who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, but one who prophesies 
edifies the church. Now, Paul is bringing a contrast here between the, the, the gift of, of heavenly tongues, this heavenly prayer language that we have that allows us to commune with God, and he's bringing that in contrast to the gift of prophecy. And the reason that he's doing that, we'll just give you some, some, some you know, uh, we'll make a preemptive statement here. Well, he, the reason that he's doing that is because he's actually leading us down a path to answer the quandary that we now have. If the gift of tongues is a gift that's been designed between me and God for my personal edification, how in the world then can this same gift be utilized in the corporate setting to bring edification to those who hear it? Paul is actually setting us up for the answer. But before he gets there, what he's plainly beginning to tell us is that edification in this context looks like me hearing with my natural ears and being built up by what I hear, right? So if I were to say something to you in Chinese that you can't understand, you know, you can, you can kind of go, well, I guess you're, you're praying for me. I, I trust that you're praying for me, but I don't really know what you're saying. I'm not edified and built up in the natural, right? It's just like, well, thank you for praying. I really appreciate that you stopped. I actually have no idea what you just said to me. But if somebody comes to you instead, speaking a word or praying over you in such a way as that you identify what they're saying, it's like I can, I can cognitively recognize and understand the words that are coming out of your mouth. How many of you know that when I receive that, it does something on the inside of me, Right? And Paul goes on to make a great case over the next several verses, making, again, this delineation saying that, that the speaking in tongues is for your personal edification, but this whole prophecy thing, this is for the church. This is for the church at large to be edified, to be built up. He continues to make the case, strengthening that argument, separating these, only to lead us really to the initiation of the answer to our quandary in verse 5. Verse 5 says, now I wish that you all spoke in tongues, but even more that you would prophesy. And greater is the one who prophesies than the one who speaks in tongues. Now listen to this. Unless he interprets so that the church may receive edifying, edification. Right? Paul's supreme value for the church gathering together is that we wouldn't be selfish. It's not about me. It's about family. All of Christianity, it's not about me. It's about you. You know, it's about others. It's about laying down our life and lifting others and considering them as better than ourselves. It's about carrying my cross daily and making sure the old guy is dead, carrying and nailing sin to the cross. It's about me dying and lifting up others. If you want to be great in the kingdom, you serve. You lay down your life. This is the theme of Christianity, and it's the theme of the gifts that we see unfolded here. Greater is the one who prophesies than one who speaks in tongues, unless he interprets so that the church may receive edifying. So in essence, what Paul is saying is that there, there is a gift that we have called speaking in tongues, or your spirit language, or your heavenly language, or your prayer language. It's called by all kinds of names, but it's the same thing that we're talking about. So there is this gift, and this gift is for you, for your personal edification. It's between you and God. It doesn't need to be interpreted because God understands you. And it's not for people, it's for him. It's between you and God. And on the other side of this, there's this gift called prophecy, and prophecy clearly is for the other people, right? Because when you spit it out, people come into agreement with it. They're built up, they're edified, it's for others. And he says this, what if, 
What if there was a way for you to take your personal prayer language, a spirit language that you've got, where you're communing with God, you're connecting, what's being prayed out of you is perfect. You're connecting with God, He's praying through you. It's, what if you could take this gift and pray over someone in a way that they're able to actually understand what you're saying? And He says, if one was able to do this, then that would be likened unto prophecy. And he begins to introduce to us, I think, the answer to the question. How does the gift of tongues that's designed to edify me become a 1 Corinthians manifestation 12, you know, 1 Corinthians 12 manifestation gift that's built and designed to edify you? And the answer is a prophetic tongue through prophecy. I don't believe that Paul in 1 Corinthians 12 is talking about a personal prayer language. I believe he is very specifically talking about tongues as prophecy. For it's only in this context that the body is built up. That the body understands what's being said and becomes edified because they can receive the word that they've understood intelligibly with their own ears. Is that making sense? Now, everything that Paul's been talking about here He's been talking about in the context of a public worship setting, right? Saying in the local church where we have gathered together in Jesus' name, where two or more gather, how many of you know that's the church, right? In a public worship setting, everything that he's talking about, saying this is how you utilize these gifts. This is our supreme value as we gather together to edify those that are around us, to utilize the gifts in such a way as that people are built up. And within that context, he continues, verse 15. He says, what is the outcome then? I will pray with the Spirit, and I will pray with the mind also. I will sing with the Spirit, and I will sing with the mind also. Verse 16. Otherwise, if you bless in the Spirit only, how will the one who fills the place of the ungifted say amen or your, or, uh, at your giving of thanks, since he does not know what you're saying? Verse 17. For you are giving thanks well enough, but the other person is not edified. Did you catch what Paul said there? In the context of the public worship setting, Paul is saying to us, I pray in the Spirit. I pray in tongues. I utilize this gift. And he goes so far actually even to say, just in case you're like, well, maybe he's talking about his own personal life. Maybe he's talking about in his own prayer closet. No, then it goes on to, to specifically articulate that he's actually saying that he's praying in tongues over another person. So Paul is laying hands on somebody and actually praying in the Spirit. That's what he says. And then he goes on to say, and in that public worship setting, I'm also singing in the Spirit. See, so often we've looked at the Scriptures, especially those that confine the gift of tongues, and we've, as I've said in the beginning, we've, we've likened the gift of tongues in a public setting as, as being sinful. It's like you are completely out of whack. It's that church on the hill, those weirdos. They've spoken tongues on service. It's, it's, like, it's demonic, but at bare minimum, it's got to be at least disobedience because the Apostle Paul says you shouldn't do that. No, the Apostle Paul says he does that. Are you confused yet? <laughs> the Apostle Paul readily admits he utilizes this gift in the public context. One may rightly say then, yeah, but, but then he goes on from there to say that, that you should be silent, right? You should be silent if there's not an interpreter, right? Isn't that what Paul says? Yes, yeah, sort of, but not exactly. Look at verse 23. 
It says, therefore, if the whole church assembles together and all speak in tongues, and an, un, an ungifted man or unbelievers enter, will they not think that you're mad? But if all prophesy, and an unbeliever or an ungifted man enters, he is convicted by all, he is called to account by all. Verse 25. The secrets of his heart are disclosed, and he will fall on his face and worship God, declaring that God is certainly among you. What is the outcome then, brethren? When you assemble, each one has a psalm, has a teaching, has a revelation, has a tongue, has an interpretation. Let all things be done for edification. If anyone speaks in a tongue, it should be by two or three at most, and each one in turn, and and one must prophesy. Excuse me, one must interpret. But if there is no interpreter, he must keep silent in the church. Let him speak to himself and to God. Now, you have to understand that before we get to this text, the Apostle Paul has already informed us that in a public setting, he has already practiced the gift. So either he's like weirdly schizophrenic or just odd. I don't know what it would be, like crazy contradictory, or that's not what he's not saying what we think he's saying. Because he's saying that I, in a public setting, pray in the Spirit over people, specifically. I, in the public setting, I worship in the Spirit. And then he goes on to say, but if you don't have an interpreter, then you have to remain silent. What the heck is Paul saying? He's saying this. Well, first and foremost, he says this. He says, the gift of tongues can be scary for people. Now, for all of you who weren't charismatic in the beginning, but maybe you are now, or at least you're finding yourself in a really scary church currently, <laughs> you know, have you ever been in a situation where somebody's praying for you, or, or they're praying in a circle, or you went to some prayer group or something, and somebody starts screaming out some Shabbos, and you're like, what was, what was that, right? I can remember personally in those days going, like, I'm... But what? Okay, what's happening right now? And, and what happened is this, is when they were praying in the Spirit, I became so distracted about what they were praying that I completely missed out on anything God would have been speaking otherwise, right? It became, it became a noisy gong to me. It became a distraction. And, and, and in essence, he's saying, if, if somebody were to walk through the door and everybody's going crazy, he's like, don't you think they're going to think you're weird? Yes, they will. Right? And he's saying, because our supreme value for getting together like this, in this context, our supreme value is to build up and to edify people. And if that's our supreme value in the context of church, and the, uh, the activities that are present that we're partaking in cause people to scream and run out the door because they think we're freaks, or like, are we being successful in our purpose for gathering together? No. You know, he's just making it plain. But having said that, I don't think he's actually even talking about praying in the Spirit as your personal prayer language. Remember I said once before, your personal prayer language doesn't need to be interpreted because it's not for people anyway. It's for God, and he can interpret it just fine, right? So Paul, when he says, I pray in the Spirit, and I sing in the Spirit, what he's suggesting in general is that he's communing with God spirit to spirit in his heavenly prayer language. There's no intention for it to be translated because he's not actually giving a prophetic tongue. He's saying, but in contrast, if you actually want to edify the church, because that's the supreme value for us coming together, is to build one another up in our most holy faith, right? Their supreme value. He said, if that's our supreme value, then you have to 
convert your heavenly prayer language into a prophetic tongue that you declare over someone, but unless they understand what's happening out of your mouth, you're not going to build them up and edify them. And so that being the case, unless you know there's an interpreter present, don't bring a prophetic tongue. See, he's not suggesting that we can't pray in the Spirit all day long, every day, or every, well, yeah, that's true too, but every service that I come to, I'm praying before in the Spirit, I'm praying after in the Spirit, and I'm praying in between. Sometimes during the song, I'm just praying in the Spirit, but you don't know that, do you? Because it's not for you. See, I don't have to draw attention to myself with the gift, right? Because it's not for you, and I don't care whether you think I'm gifted or not. It's just between me and Jesus, and I'm communing with him, and I'm bringing myself into a place where I'm built up enough to be able to be connected with him and to release something to you. It has everything to do with him and with me, nothing to do with you. And that's what Paul's talking about here. But on the other, if I want to be used by God to build up and edify you, and if I want to do that through the gift of speaking in tongues, I have to do it through a prophetic tongue. It's different. Now, imagine walking through the front door, and you've got a whole bunch of people in here, and they're all like authoritatively standing up like they're prophesying, and they're declaring a tongue, blah, 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 and you walk through the front door. You'd be like, what is going on in here? This is weird. And for what purpose would it be? For what purpose would it be unto? Again, if our supreme value is the edification of those around you, and I'm declaring a, a prophetic tongue, these are the things I've got, and no one's interpreting what I'm saying, then people aren't being built up. And Paul says, if that's the case, then just sit down. Note that he puts the same restrictions or parameters on the use of the gift of tongues in a service as he does the gift of prophecy. See, just a few verses later, he actually goes on to say, hey, if you've got a prophetic word, that's great. Line them up. At max three, two would be better. You know, line them up, and if you believe you've got a word from the Lord, let, let's hear it, and then we'll, we'll weigh that word. What does he say about the gift of tongues? He says, bring them up, that's fine. You guys have this, you have this word that's bubbling up on the inside of you, that's great. We'll do two, maybe three max in a service. We're going to do this with decency and order, but it's not going to work out unless there's somebody to interpret that and make it prophetic, because only in that can we be edified as a church body. Are you starting to get the picture? Paul wasn't trying to inhibit the gift in our midst. He wasn't placing parameters as much on the gift of, 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 of praying in the Spirit to your Father, right? He was placing parameters on those who would authoritatively give a prophetic tongue, and he was trying to bring order to the service in such a way as it maximized the edification to the people. Now, he, he says, and some of you, maybe you would question, you go, well, wait a second, but that scripture says you're to remain silent. No, it says that you're supposed to talk to yourself and pray to yourself and pray to God and be, and be silent, right? Well, when was the last time you were silent when you were talking to yourself, right? Look, we've all got the crazy neighbor. You've seen them saunter out to the mailbox and they're talking to themselves, right? It's audible. That's why it's weird, right? It's audible, you know, the word that's used for silence there was used six verses later. So if you don't believe me, then you have to believe six verses later when it says that women should be silent in church also. Because it uses the exact same word, and it's still talking about the corporate church service. So if you believe that you're supposed to be 100% silent and not use your gift whatsoever and not commune with God in that place, then women, you need to be silent in our church. You don't like that? I like it. 
I thought, I thought Paul was on to something until I realized I didn't understand the scriptures. <laughs> it's the same word. It's the same context. Public worship service. If you believe one, you have to believe the other. I trapped you, didn't I? <laughs> now, I've got a whole lot more to say, you know, which is why I've broken this off into two. It's already five after. See that? That's why I broke this up into two sections. So as far as that goes, 35, but five after when I'm supposed to be. <laughs> if you have questions regarding this, go ahead and fire them to me because I'm going to develop the last half of this and fill in the gaps. We're going to talk about missionary tongues and we're going to talk about the actual benefit to the use of this tongue and, and why I think it's so underutilized and, and, and where I think the blessing comes from being able to fully step into this gift. Now, I want to leave us with this one thought. The verse there that says they'll think you're crazy, this is why as a church you don't see it just blasted, blah, like crazy. We, we, we teach all of our prayer ministry team up here that scripture. We ask them, look, all of you guys are gifted. They all are. But, but throttle that back because what we're here to do is to maximize blessing to those who are being prayed for. And we don't want them to come into that place where they think we're just crazy and they don't receive what God had from that day. Right? And so as a, as a rule, in a public setting like this, we throttle that gift back, not because, not because we, we believe that it can't be used here, but because we believe that there have been times when people have thought that it was weird. And we're here to edify, build up, and bring people closer to God, not repel them from Him. Is that making sense? Okay. I inserted that in the wrong place, but it made sense to go ahead and tell you. <laughs> so let's pray. Jesus, there's such a tremendous value to this gift. It's, it, we've just, we haven't even gotten into it at all. You preach another couple hours, we can get into it. I saw people wince in pain, so we won't do that. But such tremendous value to this. I mean, it's on your must-have list, so you know this. What are we saying to you? So we just say, God, would you release it to us? Would you give it to us, God? And probably most of the people in this room have, a, have a, a private prayer language, a heavenly language that only you understand. Most of us probably could say, yeah, I'm gifted like that, but how many, God, have a missionary tongue? How many have been used by you in that way? How many of us, God, have been, have been used to give a prophetic tongue? There's just, there are multifacets to it, God, that, I, that I'm afraid we've shut down out of fear for the use of the gift in a public setting. So I'm asking God today that you would diffuse that fear that where we've agreed with the lie, you would break that lie right now in Jesus' name. And that you would release to us the fullness of the expressions of this gift in our midst, God. We ask for it. You said we needed it. We agree and we want it, God, for your glory and for your kingdom expansion. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen.